Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you have joined us here today. Uh, we are on week number four of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called The Vow. And this series is all about how to, uh, basically how we can learn to thrive and come alive in our relationships. We're hitting things like dealing with conflict and communication. We're talking about dealing with differences. The first week we talked about choosing wisely in relationships. And, uh, and the last week of the series, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how to affair-proof your marriage. And so we're talking about all different kinds of stuff, uh, trying to look into what, what's God's truth? What's God's word? What does he have to teach us about relationships, about marriage, about all that kind of stuff? And today I was planning to dig into a little bit more on communication uh, in relationships and talk a little bit more about some of that. But I tell you what, I just coming back, kept coming back to again and again and again, just a much more foundational theme. The reason being is because I think I can share and we can share and we can look at all kinds of great uh, tips and pieces of wisdom from God's books we can, uh, about relationships. We can talk about conflict. We can talk about communication. We can talk about all these practical issues. But I think if there isn't some sort of a shift in our own hearts, it won't do us a lick of good. And, and here's, let me give you an example of this. One of the books uh, I read a while back was a book called His Needs, Her Needs. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. it comes, it's based on like, I don't know, 30 or 35 years of research on couples in marriage, and it, and it took a look at what the top five needs were for men, again, typically through the research, and five needs for women, and it goes through great stuff, right? Her needs, it says for women, they found that affection, conversation, honesty, and openness, financial support, family commitment, th those things rank up at the top of, of needs for, for women, typically. His needs, right, sexual fulfillment, recreational companion, an attractive spouse, domestic support, admiration, some of that kind of stuff are their top needs. And you hear that, and I mean, it's, it's a great book. It's great research. It's great data. You read it, and, and the more you read, the, uh, quite, quite a bit of it, you're going, yeah, I mean, I can, I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. But I'll tell you what, if... It, it's so easy for us to, to, to hear data like that, to read books like that and that kind of stuff, and we end up focusing in on our needs, right? And you're like, okay, and we bring that into marriage. We say, you know, okay, why doesn't she do more of this for me, right? I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And it's easy for our wives to say, you know what, why, do, why isn't he more like this, and I need this, and I need this. It's so easy for us to stay focused on me, 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 my needs, my wants, my desires, my everything else. And, and, and if that's the case, as long as that's true, we can read this and we can hear this kind of stuff. We can talk about keys to communication. We can talk about handling conflict. And it's not going to really go that far until there's a subtle shift that happens in our hearts. I said, you know what? Maybe everything isn't about me, right? I mean, there's, there's a, some subtle shifts that, un, that need to be kind of foundational first, a foundation that we can build on to, to really make a difference in our marriages to make a difference in our relationships. And so today we're going we're gonna to kind of camp out there on some of the foundations, some of the shifts that need to happen in our lives and in our own hearts uh, in order for the rest of this stuff to sort of take root. Uh, and I'm calling it submitting yourself to a better marriage. And so uh, that's kind of where we're going, what we're going to be talking about today. I, I spent most of my time um, in uh, the book of Ephesians studying this week and uh, the, the sort of the quintessential passage on marriage in the New Testament is Ephesians 5. And so I was, I was thinking, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, camp out there. And yet, as I read through chapters 4 and 5 together, uh, I, I think God's got just some great stuff in actually the whole book of Ephesians, but in those two chapters in particular. And so fair warning, I'm going to share a lot of scripture today. <laughs> and so I want us to read through um, a, a chunk of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and a chunk of Ephesians chapter 5 in order to really kind to hear God's heart and what he's saying in this whole passage, because I think, again, there's some great foundations, there's some great um, 
kind of shifts in teaching and wisdom that he's got in that. So a little bit long, but it's worth it. So stick with me. And I want you just to, even as we go through and as we read through this, I want you to have kind of an open heart and just be uh, prayerful and, and listening for the whispers of God's spirit, so to speak, and just say, like, what does God have to say to me in this? We're talking about it in the context of marriage today, but so much of Ephesians isn't really about marriage. In fact, chapter four is talking about uh, just relationships in general, relationships in the church. And so uh, just be listening through that lens about what does God have to say to me and teach to me about relationships today? We're going to start out in Ephesians chapter four, starting with verse one, says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, Paul says... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So God's speaking here through the Apostle Paul, uh, and he's writing to a group of Christ followers in the city of Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians, right? But he spends a great deal of time in chapter 4 talking about relationships and unity amongst Christ followers, right? Amongst, amongst believers. And there's some great relational skills. There's some great kind of stuff in there, like be completely humble, be gentle, be patient with each other, bear with one another in love. That's, man, I'll tell you what, we should get that one tattooed someplace where we can see it often, right? Bear with one another in love, um, kind of a, a committed love that endures. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit <clears throat> with one another. I think that's a great one as well. God has great stuff in here. <clears throat> And I think there's some great application, obviously, to marriage and relationships. But I want us to just keep looking at the foundational level. And so uh, we'll come back to some of this stuff a little later. But keep going. We're going to jump ahead to verse 17. It says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Those that are, he's talking about those that aren't yet Christ followers. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Jumping ahead says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I should have paused for just one second. Just like, I mean, do you kind of see what he's talking about here? Do you hear what he's talking about? He's reminding this group of Christ followers that a shift has happened in them or should have happened in them for those that have made a decision to follow Christ. As Christ followers, he reminds, he reminds them, it's not about you, right? It's not just about your desires and your wants. It's not about your lust. Instead, he said, there's a shift that's happened when you, uh, kind of a different, posture that has happened when you decided to follow Christ. You've put your old self to death, that, 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 that part of you that's all about you. You've put that to death. He said, instead, you've chosen to put on the new self in Christ, and you've chosen to follow him into his good and perfect and better plans for your relationships. And he goes on in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. Verse 26, we read this um, last week, I think, or a couple weeks ago. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let any unwholesome, mouth, uh, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, uh, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit them, those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. Thank you. Uh, Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, is there a ton in there? Yes, there's, a, there's absolutely a ton. Uh, there's, but I want you to see the big picture, the context, and now we're going to zero in on the, the marriage passage, and then I, I promise I'll be done with reading through here. But it says this. Just listen to this. This is great. It says, be very careful then how you live, um, how you live then, uh, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to sin. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music to your hearts from uh, in your hearts from the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in that context. Now listen, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the for the husband is the head of uh, the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives uh, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the Word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated his own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of summarize Ephesians uh, 4 and 5 into three different shifts or three different statements, three different foundations, if you will, either uh, either submit or commit, we'll talk about, in order to have a thriving marriage. And these are huge. Again, I want you to just be listening as we kind of walk through this and, and, and thinking about, do I buy into this? Do I live this way? And, uh, and if, you know, are there changes that need to happen in my own heart in order to get aligned with God on this? The first thing I'm going to talk about is the submit to God. I think uh, this is woven throughout the whole, the whole passage. I put a couple in here, right? But it, it talks, first of all, I mean, he starts out writing, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is, Paul, he talks about this all the time. He starts out talking about himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a prisoner. He's in prison, right, uh, during this, this time. And so he, he really sees himself that his life is in the hands of God. That's, it's part of his identity. It's how he views himself. You go down a little bit further, and Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 says, instead, it says, don't just be drunk on wine, but it's really be filled with the Spirit is the emphasis of it. It said, you've got to live your life and walk your life out in such a way that you are pursuing God, that you're being filled up with Him. This is kind of a foundational thing for relationships. It's really interesting. You and I, friends, are created for relationship with God. We, we have needs that only God can meet, that only He can fill. 
We want to feel loved in relationships, and that's normal, right? We want to feel safe and secure. We want to feel important and valued and all that kind of stuff. But so often what ends up happening is in relationships, and again, this is all in that context, but in relationships, we end up looking to our spouse. We tend to look to other people to find those things that we need, right? We want, we want them to make us feel important. We want them to make us feel full. We want them to make us feel peaceful and valuable and all those kinds of things. And in so doing, it seems like so often we put on uh, unrealistic kind of pressures on our spouse. When we're looking to them to be our savior, it's never going to work out right. right? It's never going to work out well. And uh, I think it's interesting, again, in the midst of all this kind of stuff, that God is reminding them, that Paul is being reminded, saying, yeah, remember who we are. Remember where we're supposed to go to find fullness. He says, don't, be, don't go after all that stuff over there, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Find what you need in Him. Find what you long for. Find your identity in Him. He is your Master. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is the one that made you and the only one that can provide what you need. God says, do you want to experience unity? Do you want to live in oneness? Do you want to experience peace in your relationships? Then go, then go after me. Find it in me. Find your identity in me. For, for the sake of your relationships, for, for your sake, submit to me. Be filled with my, with my spirit. Fullness only comes from God. He says he's the only one that can fill us up, the only one that can give us what we need. And only as we surrender and submit and rely on him do we come to, you know, do we come to find all that we long for and need. I've shared this before, but I, think, I also think it's fascinating. Uh, there's a Harvard study that was done a number of years ago that, uh, can you jump to that next slide, that study a bunch of Christ followers and they, what they found is they found that people uh, that read the Bible together regularly, pray together regularly and attend church, they worship together regularly they said have a divorce rate of 1 in 1287 right, that's .0007% as opposed to the population which is what, divorce rate is what about 50%. In Peoria, this is as of last year, it was about 55%, right, is, is in Peoria County, right? That's, it's jaw-dropping. It's staggering when you look at that. And, and, and for me, anyway, I start thinking, well, why is that, right? Why, why would the divorce rate for those that are praying together, worshiping together, and uh, reading the Bible together, why would it be so much less? You know, at least some of it, what it is? It's because we are looking to Christ as our Savior, as the one that would fill us as the one that would transform us, as opposed to throwing that on somebody else. Because if I am angry inside, if, I, if, if my whole world is tumultuous, if I am not doing well, and I am looking to another person to try and fix that, how's that going to work out for you? It's not, right? I mean, because, uh, uh, I mean, we joke around sometimes. I'm like, Tina is an amazing wife, right? But she's a terrible savior, right? She can't do ultimately what I need in my own soul and in my own heart. Only God can do that. Friends, this one is absolutely critical. The first sort of posture shift is instead of looking for everything from our spouse, we submit ourselves to God first and foremost, and we look to him for all that we need. The first step is to get right with him, to submit ourselves to him, to look to him, to be filled by him. And suddenly our relationships, our marriages are freed up, right? It takes so much pressure off of our marriages when we're looking to Christ first. Does that make sense? You kind of with me on that? 
I think that was just a fascinating thing. I'm, uh, again, I'm not sure I communicated that well, but you get the big idea. Kind of with me on that. Second thing, and this is kind of the, the crux of the passage, submit to one another. This one has to do with humility in preferencing others above yourself and preferencing your spouse above yourself. In order for marriages to thrive, we've got to submit to one another. We've got to move past the stubborn pride that says it's all about me. And I get that this is hard. It's entirely countercultural, isn't it? Uh, but it's, this is where the good stuff is at. It's where God reminds us and said, you know what? It's not about you. But instead, would you submit yourself to one another? Would you put one another's needs above your own? Would you learn to lift up and serve and build up and sacrificially love one another. God reminds us that we used to live in sort of that way that it was all about me, right? Just going after whatever it is that I wanted and I thought would make me, 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 me. You used to live that way. He's like, but you put that to death and instead you have stepped into something better. You've stepped into new life with Christ. You've discovered in Jesus that there is freedom from your past, that there is joy and life found in following and coming to know Jesus. So he's saying, in your relationships, why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to me, 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 me? Instead, he's like, haven't you learned that God's way is better? Instead, there's something better in store. Instead, come and follow me. Let me, let me show you how to serve. Let me show you how to preference one another, how to build one another up. For those of us that are Christ followers, there is something better, and we need to shift in our own heart until we understand and apply this whole idea of submitting to one another. Until we do that, we won't be able to sort of move forward in our marriages. We won't be able to thrive in our marriages. We'll just keep wounding one another. Maybe we might win some fights here and there. We might be able to sway our friends onto our side, but uh, we'll be burying our relationship. That kind of self-centered and stubborn pride does damage to our relationships. That me-first mentality destroys relationships. Instead, God says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. Now, in all honesty, is this a pretty popular passage? Do you hear this one read at a lot of, a lot of weddings? Do we like to preach on it or read it or talk about it? Not so much. The whole idea of submission, is that a popular thing in our culture today? Not at all, right? This is, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us a little bit squirmy, and I understand it, right? I mean, uh, a lot of times we don't like the language because uh, we don't want to be a doormat, right? Because we, don't, we always ask ourselves, well, what if it's not reciprocated? Sometimes even I think men have tried to use this passage to sort of push down their wives and come back to the uh, a situation where like, see, it is all about me, right? So you need to do what I say and you need to do this and this and this and this and this, right? Because it's all about me. And if that's what we end up hearing in this passage, then we have completely missed the point, right? Because nothing could be further from the truth. The picture that God paints in the midst of this passage is one of mutual submission, I mean, the words may be different. The way it plays out may be different, but the concept is the same. God spends the majority of the time, nine verses, as opposed to three for the wives, by the way, nine verses of this passage are directed towards husbands talking about how they should love their wives as Christ has loved the church, sacrificially giving himself up for her needs, right? It's, it's, that's the picture. It's a picture of serving and lifting her up. 
And likewise, it says, wives, would you submit to your husbands? Would you respect and honor him? Would you lift him up? It's, it's, it's sort of a mutual submission. That's why that first verse is so important where it says, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not a top-down bureaucracy, but it's a picture of how marriages work best. Now, this is not the least bit surprising to me. You want to know why? Because this is a principle that comes out of Jesus' mouth all the time, doesn't it? He said, you want to know what greatness looks like in my kingdom? You want to know how to be great? What's he say? What's he say? You remember? Stoop down and serve, right? Greatness looks like serving. He's like, you, you want to be the first, then you should be the last. He, he, his, his disciples are having a conversation about who's going to be the best in his kingdom. And he stoops down and washes their feet, right? He talks about, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they say, yeah, he's talking about it. he's going to die for him. Like, Do you get the picture? Greatness in the kingdom equates to selfless, sacrificial love serving and lifting others up. It's no different. That's, that's the picture he's saying. In, it, it's true in the kingdom. It's true in life. It's true in leadership. And certainly it's true in marriage. You want to be great? Learn to serve. And in, in the language of this passage, he says, submit yourselves to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Honor and respect them. Lift them up. Preference them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Stoop down and serve and lift up. Do you get the picture? This is a very different picture than often we think about or we talk about in marriage, but this is where the good stuff happens. And there's a shift uh, that happens where uh, even in our language where, and even in the way we think from it's about me and my needs and my desires and my wants and me, me, me to greatness is really about you, 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 right? It's about how can I serve? How can I love? How can I lift up? Now, does that mean that you have to, you know, exclusively, if, that you can, you know, never be concerned with your needs again? Does that mean you always eat at the restaurant that your wife or husband wants to and never yours that you always do? Is that what this is talking about? Of course not. But do, do I really think that most of us are in danger of being that? No. I mean, so often, uh, so often the majority of our life is spent thinking about, even if we don't do it, but thinking about how can I get what I want, what I need. And in marriage, there's got, in, in a godly marriage, in a, in a Christ, in God's plan for marriage, there's a shift that says, greatness is found in giving myself away, in serving, in loving, in sacrifice, in humility. And man, how we need to get back to that. You know, that's, that's where the good stuff is found. Now, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to live out, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road when I'm exhausted. I think probably the most selfish uh, time of my week internally is Sunday afternoon. Right? I'm exhausted from, from church. I often will get up at like 4.30 or, or whatever and uh, come down to church. And I've been working for a long time. I pour myself out, whatever. We get done. I go home. And I'm sort of thinking about, what do I want to do this afternoon? Like, <laughs> it's one of those times where uh, it, it's really tempting just to to be all about me. And I think I need to hear this, and, and, and maybe some of you do too. Uh, of, man, there needs to be a shift on Sunday afternoons and every other day, right? Every other day of the week, saying uh, a shift from what do I need and me and mine, all this kind of stuff, to uh, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I love? What does my family need? What does my wife need? 
And man, that's when the good stuff happens. You get home from work and your wife or your husband says, help, right? I can't take these kids anymore. They're driving me crazy. I'm going to lose my mind. What do you think about? Do you think about you or do you think about her or him? You know, your spouse needs time connecting or sharing or processing or that kind of stuff, but you're tired. And how do you, how do you think? What do you think about? Is it about you or is it about them? I think Christ, what he's saying here, what God's saying through Paul is just a reminder of just saying, man, would you learn again and again and again to put this into practice of submitting yourself, of putting your needs to the side and serving others first, right? Serving your spouse first, lifting them up. And then, of course, yeah, is there time where it's reciprocated and, you, and you know, your needs get met and back and forth? But that's that beautiful picture, I think, of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. My... my um, my encouragement, I think, to all of us would be, I, I hope you go home this week. I hope you read Ephesians chapters 4 and 5. I, w- I hope you read it every day this week. I think we, c- we probably can't get this in our heads enough, just a constant reminder to be meditating on it, thinking about it, thinking, how can I put this into practice? And my real encouragement is if you're a guy, I would encourage you to read the nine verses that are focused on you and not the three verses that talk about your wife, right? And vice versa. Because our tendency when we read this stuff is we read it and we focus on the other ones. See, she needs to submit more. See, she needs to honor more. See, she needs to do this. And, And likewise, wives are sitting there going, see, why don't you love me like that, right? Why don't you do what I need? Why don't you, like, and I'm just saying, would... Again, when we do that, we're missing the point of the passage, right? Because what's the point of the passage? Submit to one another. Submit to God, first of all. Look to him for all we need. And then submit to one another. And look, how can I raise them up? How can I serve? How can I love? You with me on that? So let's make sure we keep that focus. Focus on what is God asking of me. And then I'll let my wife or let your husband or whoever, your friend or whatever, let them worry about their part, uh, that kind of stuff. God's design for marriage really is that both husband and wife uh, surrendering to each other's needs and wants. uh, And man, it makes all the difference in the world when we take this sort of approach and we build one another up and we serve one another and we love sacrificially and we honor. Man, it makes for amazing marriage, rich and full when we submit to another, one another out of reverence for Christ. Last one I'll just hit um, fairly quickly, but I just said, you know, commit to relationships of grace. So submit to God, submit to one another, and commit to grace-filled relationships. This passage is peppered with grace kind of language, talking about, uh, and, and when we say grace, I simply mean undeserved love, undeserved forgiveness, undeserved blessing. It's doing uh, good for others. It's loving others. It's forgiving others, even when they don't deserve it. Ephesians 4, uh, 26 through uh, 5, 2, I think this is great language. It says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building. I want you to listen to the focus. For building others up, right, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's all about them, them, them. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then it says this, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice 
to God. It's great language, and it's peppered throughout uh, the book of Ephesians as well, not just here. But the whole picture is just, uh, I mean, in there, he's talking about forgive is one of the parts. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the language we use around here at Ignite sometimes. How did the Lord forgive us? What is it? I, I can't hear, huh? Speak loudly. Go ahead. What'd you say? You don't know? Okay. Somebody else said something. Like, unconditionally. What else? How's God loved us? How's Christ loved us? Died on the cross. Sacrificially. What else? Did we deserve it? No, not at all, right? I mean, graciously and on and on and on, totally, completely. He has forgiven us again and again and again. For those of us that have placed our trust in Christ, the Bible tells us that he has completely forgiven us, that he has he's released us from the junk and the sin of our past. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway because he is a gracious and loving God because he's already paid the price for our sins. He came and did what was best for us even though we didn't deserve it. And therefore, he forgives and loves and uh, pours out his grace on us again and again and again. The truth of the matter, friends, when it comes to relationships is that all of us have, uh, have hurt one another. We are all undeserving, even in marriage, right? Have we let each other down in terms of expectations? Yes. Have we hurt one another? Yes. Have we done damage to the relationship? Yes. Have we been untrustworthy in one way or another? Probably yes at some point, right? There's, there's been, all of us have contributed sin to this deal, right? We have hurt one another. And, if, and so often it seems like we operate in relationships on sort of a quid pro quo kind of basis or on an eye for eye or tooth for tooth sort of basis. Like I will, sure, I will respect him when he deserves it, right? I will love her when she does what, you know, when she should, when she behaves the way a wife should behave, right? It's, it's this kind of stuff. We, we seriously function this way, don't we? I mean, we kind of, it's kind of this, this, this uh, waiting on one another. And yet the example that Christ gives us again and again is he says, you know what? You didn't deserve it. You, you didn't, you didn't des- What in your life have you deserved that's good, right? Because you, you've contributed sin to this deal. And yet I came and I died for that sin. In fact, in fact, I died for the very people that killed me. <laughs> I died for their sins too and for all of you so that you can come back home to God so that you can be loved. I died so that you didn't have to. I died for your good, right? I came for you. I mean, just jaw drop. I loved you when, when you didn't love me. I served you when you could care less, when you had turned your back on me and spat in my face. That's the picture that Jesus paints. He's like, man, and relationships work best when we imitate that. I love, uh, the, uh, the part was at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us all. Follow his example. Follow the example of Jesus. And I just think, man, let's let that seep into our marriages. Let's let, let's let that example uh, of not just waiting for I will love her when, right, and I'll serve her when, and I will you know, respect him when and all this kind of stuff. Uh, instead of living in a conditional sort of marriage where we're trying to earn our love and approval and whatever, what if instead our relationships could just be saturated with grace? It's saying, you know, I have been the recipient of God's grace again and again and again. I didn't deserve it, but he extravagantly, unconditionally has poured out his love and forgiveness on me again and again and again. 
He has been good to me when I didn't deserve it. When I was rebellious even, he was still kind to me and brought me back home. What if that kind of, you know, that kind of grace saturated our relationships? It would be life-changing. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us all. It's grace language. Remember and follow the example of the Savior who loved us enough to die for us so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience life. God says, follow that. He did it because he loved us. Live a life of love and of grace. It reminds me um, of a story that I read one time about uh, Dr. Uh, George Crane. He's a psychologist. Uh, he had a woman that bust into his office one day and said, you know what, I, I've, got the, I've got a husband I just despise. I hate him. I can't stand it, and I intend to divorce him. I want to hurt him all I can, she said, she declared to him. Well, in that case, Dr. Crane said, I advise you to start showering him with compliments. When you have become indispensable to him, when, when he thinks that you love him devotedly, then start the divorce action. He says, this is, this is the way that you can hurt him most. And so this, he doesn't see this woman for several months. A few months later, she returns and, and says, man, the, the plan is working well. He says, okay, so are you going to go ahead and file for divorce? And she said, divorce? Never. She said, I love my husband deeply. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, that's what, happened. that's what it looks like when we have grace-filled relationships. Sometimes we get in a downward spiral, right, where we're just, we're just taking bites out of just chomping at each other, right, right and left, where there's where, where hatred and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. It's just ruling the day, and we start this downward spiral. And sometimes all it takes to stop the thing is grace, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you is to, is to stop and to say, would you forgive me? And to extend grace to say, I forgive you for some of that stuff. Chop off the past and start dealing with each other, not based on works, but based on grace. Because God has been so good to me, I'm a, I want to learn to love you the way he's loved me. I want to I learn to serve you the way he has served me. I want to live for your good and for his glory, right, instead of just my own. I'll tell you what, our marriages thrive, our souls and hearts thrive, our relationships come to life in an environment of grace. It may not feel fair, I get that it's totally not normal, but it is good, it's what you are made for. That shift of heart will bring your marriage to life in ways you can't even imagine. So that's kind of what I wanted to hit today, these sort of key posture shifts uh, to develop in a great marriage. The first one, right, has to do with submitting to God, first looking to him for all that we need to fill us and to satisfy our deepest needs, to teach us to love and let that love pour over uh, into our marriage. It's about submitting to God first. It's about submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, learning to serve and lift up and give preference to one another. Loving sacrificially and wholeheartedly, building up and respecting and submitting. This is transformational stuff. And the third shift is it's about committing to a path and to a home and to a marriage and to relationships, to even a lifestyle of grace where grace is on tap, where love and respect and forgiveness are freely offered regularly to one another. Not because they deserve it, but because that's what love does. I mean, can you imagine for a minute... 
what those shifts could do in your marriage and your relationships. Imagine being so filled with the love of God, continually being filled up by his spirit with his power and his love and his grace and his fullness and then following his example, learning to lift up and encourage and build up and love and serve your spouse and then your spouse reciprocating, right? That that happens to you. They're lifting you up and honoring and you know serving and giving preference to one another. Can you imagine a home in which that was happening again and again? Imagine a home in which grace and love and forgiveness were freely and regularly shared. It'd be amazing. This is God's plan for marriage. This is his dream for relationships in his kingdom. And it's possible and available because of Christ. As we close in prayer today, I want you to take just a minute before I pray. And I just want you to, to sort of um, kind of open yourself up to God, kind of talk to God about this a little bit. If, you're, if you are married, uh, I don't care if, you are, if things are going well or if they're going terribly, would you pray, would you turn to God uh, first and foremost and just pray for your marriage? Would you pray for your spouse? Pray that God would be gracious to them, right? That he would build them up, that he would pour out his love and his grace on them. Would you pray for your marriage that God would pour out his blessing on you? that he would cause you to thrive? Would you pray for his grace that he, that he would help cut some of the cords to junk of the past that keeps dogging you again and again and again? Would you pray that he could make you new even as a couple and that he could really pour out his grace on your home, right, and your marriage and your family from this point forward? Would you take a minute and just, and just pause then after you pray for these things and just say, God, is there work that you need to do in my heart? Are there, are there some of these shifts? Have, have I been looking to my spouse too much for stuff that only you can give? And if so, God, would you forgive me? And would you teach me to walk with you and be filled with you? Maybe there's ways that you're like, man, in, in all honesty, I have been all about me in my marriage, in my relationship. And maybe today God is, God is nudging you and saying, man, it's time to shift that thing. And if so, would you just would you just do some business with God and say, God, would you teach me to serve? Would you teach me to submit to my wife, to submit to my husband and lift them up in, in what's good for them? Or maybe if you're honest, you'd say, man, my relationships have really been about, uh, have really been about, you know, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's about what's fair. It's about <laughs> getting what I deserve instead of, uh, instead of submitting and learning to live in a household of grace. And maybe if that's you, maybe God will tweak you and just, and just say, God, would you forgive me? Would you teach me to live in grace the way you have poured out grace on me?